Hey, it sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Um, yeah, by the way, my name is Van Cochran. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, hey, great to see you all. Uh, awesome to see you all here today. And this video we're going to show on New Year's Eve. It's awesome. Um, the, the group that you saw, uh, the, the musicians, that's a group called Corn, And a couple of the guys in it came to know Jesus. One of them accepted Jesus the night his father died. And unbeknownst to him, his father had said, if I die before Fieldy does, the first thing I'm going to do is find Jesus and ask him where my son is. And so that night that his father passed away, and I I think as the story goes, he didn't know that his father had died. He accepted Christ that night. And uh, so it's really powerful when you see him uh, and Todd White out praying for people that are coming to their concert. But um, so many just awesome parts of this movie that I encourage you to uh, come and and to see on uh, New Year's Eve. It'll be awesome. Let's pray, okay? Let's invite God's presence, and uh, then we're going to uh, study some things and talk about some things I think the Lord wants us to think about and understand better today, to experience more in our lives. So, Father... We come right now, we calm our hearts. We just calm our hearts before you. We want to have hearts like children. And we look to you. We invite you. We welcome you here. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. You're God present with us. You're the one who makes the kingdom of God a reality in our lives and in this world. So come now, Holy Spirit, and teach us. Open our eyes and our understanding to see more of the Father and to experience more of the life of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the cool things um, that, that I liked about the, the video, when these two guys that are used to going out and playing uh, in, the, in their band in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, uh, this guy, Todd White, who was the guy that starts off uh, calling out to people to pray for them, he, he's an evangelist. We've heard him speak. Um, he's uh, well-known in the circles in which we all travel. And... Um, as, as he's leading them out, and you see this in the movie, these two guys who are world-famous musicians, they're saying, oh, man, I'm nervous. I've never done anything like this before. I've got butterflies in my stomach. And they're really fearful as they're going out to experience what it's like just to walk up to people and, and pray for them. But um, it's really cool when you see what God does, you know, how God works in them through this process and how God works through them and through Todd in, in the lives of so many people in this video. The lady at the beginning where the, you hear the voice saying, we're filming a Christian documentary, you know, kind of like at a dock where there are boats in the background. Uh, th- th- there's a fair part of the video that is just about that and how Todd leads that lady uh, to accept Jesus. It's just really an awesome, awesome thing. But I was thinking particularly about their nervousness and about how, uh, as here are these guys that are able to, to perform before tens of thousands, now they're nervous in this simple thing of walking out 
to uh, to talk to people that they don't already know. And I, it, 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 it makes me think of this, that all of us have fears. All of us have um, anxieties that we experience in life and areas of weakness. You know, we all have weakness. I mean, have you, have you experienced physical weakness at any point in time? Who has? Who hasn't? I mean, we all have. You get the flu and, um, and you're weak. You, you don't have the strength to get out of bed and walk across the room. You might not have the strength to feed yourself. Certainly don't have the strength to get involved in any intense conversations or anything like that. Just because your physical system is whacked. There's something wrong with it. And even though you don't fully understand what it is, you know what you're experiencing. You know you're experiencing weakness. And the same way, we can experience kind of like an internal weakness. Uh, whether you want to call it emotional weakness or whether you want to refer to it as spiritual weakness, uh, just a moment of time or times when we just don't feel strong. We don't feel like we have the strength to do anything. And we might not even know why. It, you know, it could be because we've just run into a, a bunch of hard situations and we feel overwhelmed. It might be that um, uh, there's, we've experienced some rejection and we're dealing with that. Uh, it could be some big thing, you know. Maybe, uh, maybe there's some something in the house. The roof needs redone, and you're not sure where the money's going to come from, and and you know it's leaking, and that's bad. And you're you're occupied with that, and you experience fear over what's going to happen. Uh, we we all have that. We all have moments of weakness and moments of fear. But um, what we need to understand, what we need to begin to understand better, I think, and and really begin to internalize, not just understand with our minds, but begin to internalize is that Jesus has already fought the battle for us. And that through him, we can live lives of peace. That he's already fought all the battles. He's already won. And through him, we're strong. We don't have to be weak. In fact, uh, one of the prophets used uh, words just like this. The guy's name was Joel. And Joel, as a prophet, was prophesying about uh, what he calls the end times. And I, I know, you know, we think today, we think, well, the end times are not here yet. That'll happen, like, sometime in the future when, uh, when, when Armageddon occurs. But actually, uh, the end times... It biblically refers to the whole period of time between the time that the Holy Spirit came and the time, the, the time Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit from then until the end when Jesus returns. This whole chunk of time is called the end times. So what Joel's talking about here is he's prophesying what life is going to be like once the Messiah has come and once the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the world. And for Joel, um, specifically in his prophecy, he's talking about a great battle that's going to be fought. Now, whether that battle is, he's referring to a literal physical battle or whether he's referring to the spiritual battles that we face, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't make any difference because either way, it applies to our lives in a direct way as far as how you and I relate to God, how we view ourselves, and how we relate to, to each other. Because 
he says this. He says that God's going to gather these armies, or he calls the armies to gather together in this battlefield. And then he makes several statements about what's going to happen. And here's one of the statements. Real simple. It just says this. Let the weak say, this is Joel 3.10. Is that up on the screen behind me? Awesome. Thank you. I didn't want to have to turn around. Let the weak say what? Okay, again, let's say that. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let's say that again. Let the weak say, I am strong. All right, first, he doesn't say, let the strong say, I am strong, does he? No, it's let the weak say. Okay, let the weak say, I am strong. All right. So this is written for people who perceive themselves as being weak. At the very least, those that perceive themselves as being weak. What he's saying is that in this day of the Lord, strength is going to flow. And God's strength and power are going to be available. And weakness is going to be overcome with strength. Because Jesus has already fought and won the battles that we have to face. And notice this as well. He says, let the weak, what? What word does he use? Say. What does say mean? Proclaim it. Speak it out. Declare it. We've talked about declarations. If you remember last spring when we went through the Freedom Project, we had a declaration that we made every week. That's what he's talking about here. He's not saying, say it to yourself. He's not saying, well, just remember when you're weak, just remember this and think about it. No, he's saying, say it. And there is something powerful about us actually speaking the words. There's something powerful about us actually saying, all right, I'm going to make this declaration. I'm feeling weak, but I am strong because I'm in Jesus. I am strong because I, because I know Christ and because he is in me. And when we do that, we're beginning to internalize these truths, not just know them externally like it's something I could write down if I had a test to take, but that, that truth is becoming part of who I am. So it's becoming part of the way I look at life. It's becoming part of the way I think about life. And so Joel gives us this incredible uh, promise when, when he says, let the weak say, all right. Now, sometimes we have the impression or we have kind of like the inclination to think that weakness disqualifies us. Have you ever thought that? Have, have you ever thought, oh, I'm so weak. God must be so disappointed in me. You know, I try so hard, but I fail and I'm just weak and I'm a failure, and I don't have the right to come to God. You ever think that? Okay, I've thought that. Uh, I think most of us have, have fallen into that trap at different times. But the simple truth is this, that it is weakness that actually qualifies us. That's the only thing. We have to be able to recognize our weakness. I recognize that I need more of God. In fact, in Hebrews 4... Um, it, there's a verse that talks about Jesus and talks about how God is uh, working and, and how, how Jesus relates to us. And in this passage, uh, Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16, he says, uh, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we'll just leave that verse up on the screen for a minute here. But what he's talking about here is Jesus is our high priest. Because Jesus is the one who brings us to God. Jesus is the one who opens the doorway for us to come freely into the presence of God. And by the way, he's the only one. He is all we need. You don't need Jesus plus the pastor or Jesus plus the church. You need Jesus. And Jesus brings us into the presence of God. And as we come into the presence of God through Jesus, coming to know him, then we become part of the church. And we're part of it. But uh, we have direct access to God through Jesus. He's our high priest. But as our high priest, he also actually understands and knows everything that we face because he became a human being. And as a human being, he faced the pressures of life. He knew what it was like to travel around with a group of guys that were really dummies that really, I mean, do you ever, do you ever have to put up with people that don't get it? You say something and they say, what? Well, how more clear could I be? I just said, please open the door. What? I mean, it was, I mean, he, he understood the frustration of being around people that didn't get him, that didn't understand him. He understood the frustration of living with rejection He understood the the frustration of having a thousand people that all needed something from him, and he didn't have time to talk to every one of them. He understood that. And just like you and I face pressures in life, and we look around and we think, how can I ever handle all of this? How can I handle all of the relationships and the holidays and getting ready for them and doing this and that and my work? I'm not sure how the job is going to turn out. And I don't know what my boss is going to say when I get back and he sees the report that I left right before Christmas. I didn't do a very good job on that. And I'm worried about that. Or when I get back to school, I'll find out what grade I got. And I'm worried about that. Or are my kids going to do okay? Or what about that medical test? When it comes back, what's it going to say? I mean, there's so many things that, that we can worry about and that we can, that we can uh, find as burdens. And what he says right here is Jesus understands the pressure of all of that. So we can therefore come to him with confidence that he's going to give us grace. And that means not only is he going to welcome us into his presence, but we're going to receive his strength through the process of coming to him. So uh, we want to, we want to uh, reject this idea that we have to be strong in order to qualify to come to God for strength or to qualify to come to God for wisdom. Uh, we, we qualify through Jesus. It's just simply that. If I put faith in Jesus, then I get God too, and, and I get to come to him with all of my needs. Now, there's a passage in the Old Testament that I want to uh, take us through the, the story from the Old Testament. And this is Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, it happens uh, a lot of years before Joel wrote his prophecies. And at this point in time, when this story takes place in Second Chronicles 20, there's a king named Jehoshaphat. And he was a good king. He trusted God. He loved God. And Jehoshaphat was um, a man whose father was a great king. His name was Asa. 
And so Jehoshaphat has been uh, leading the southern kingdom of Judah. At this point in time, the nation of Israel had divided into north and south, just like north and south Korea today. North, northern Israel kept the name Israel. The southern half of the nation took the name Judah because that was the primary tribe that, uh, that lived in that area, Judah. And so Judah was the place that had Jerusalem, which meant they had the temple, and that's where the worship took place. But Judah came under attack. So one day Jehoshaphat gets this word that there is a massive army from three other nations, surrounding nations, that have massed on the border of Judah, and they are getting ready to invade Judah. And what we read when we read this story, and, and I encourage you to get out your Bible today, find Second Chronicles chapter 20, just read through this story later today. But for right now, uh, Jehoshaphat hears this, and he immediately responds with fear. It says he was afraid. And so do you know what he did out of his fear? You know, fear can lead people to do a lot of things. In fact, the Bible tells us that fear will confuse our ability to think. It will take away our ability even to think clearly. In 2 Timothy, there's a verse that says this. God has not given us a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy seven. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so uh, when you look at that, God gives us power, love, sound mind. If I live with fear, what fear does is takes away my power. Fear keeps me from loving others because I'm focused totally inwardly instead of focusing outwardly on others. And it messes with my mind so that I can't think right. Takes away my sound mind. And so it's possible for Jehoshaphat, as he's hearing this news, and he's fearing, it's possible for him to enter into panic. It's possible for him to embrace a spirit of fear. And there's a difference between fearing something in a normal, healthy way and embracing a spirit of fear. There are things we should fear. And let me tell you, if you're the king of a nation that is about to be overwhelmed with a massive army, and you don't have an army to match it, it would be crazy if you weren't afraid. And so what does Jehoshaphat's fear do to him? You know, fear can do good things for us. Fear can clarify our thinking. It can, it can focus our minds. It can cause everything that's really not essential or not important to fall, fall off, 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 off uh, out of focus. And you just focus, focus more clearly. So it can help us to think more clearly. If we embrace it as a spirit of fear, it will wreck our minds. But Jehoshaphat, what he does is to allow fear to drive him to God. And so it says, right, at the, right when it says Jehoshaphat was afraid, so what he did was to call for a fast and to call for prayer. So he calls the whole nation of Judah to come together and fast and pray. And that, that, that was what uh, Jehoshaphat's fear uh, led him to do. And so they, they are all gathered together in Jerusalem around the temple. And Jehoshaphat, you know, whatever pride he had as king is gone 
That's one of the things that uh, a threat can do. It can strip us of some of our pride. And when we get focused and we realize what's important and not important, pride is one of the things that is less important and not important. And so it focuses his thinking. He stands up in front of the whole nation and he prays. And he just prays this humble prayer. And he calls out to God. First thing he does is he identifies who God is. He says, oh God, you are the creator God. And that's just like Jesus in the Lord's Prayer where he said, we, we start off saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Starting off, just God, you're the God of heaven. You are the creator God. You are the holy God. You're the one true God. So he, he identifies who God is. And then it goes on. And uh, he identifies the problem and their weakness. And, and he says, we're too weak to handle this enemy. And so for you and for me, that what that means is we just come, we say, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how this, I don't know how I'm going to move forward with this situation that's facing me. I don't, I don't know how. I need you to work. I need you to release your power. I need you to give me strength and wisdom to know what the next step is. And that's basically what, um, uh, what uh, th- this king is doing is he trusts God. Jehoshaphat comes to God and, and he says, you're bigger than the enemy. You're greater than the enemy. We're not. We don't know what to do. We need you to show us what to do. But he does something else as well. He says this. He says, are you not the God who gave this land to Abraham? He says, didn't you give this land to Abraham? And we are Abraham's descendants. And so are you going to let them take it from us? So what he's doing there is to, he's recognizing his relationship with God's promises. And he is recognizing his identity. And for you and for me, that would be the same as us coming to God in prayer and saying, Father, Jesus already died to defeat all of these enemies in life. He died to defeat this spiritual enemy, this spiritual attack I'm facing. He died to give me victory over the financial situation that I'm facing or over the relational situation or over the internal struggles that that I'm having. He already died to give me victory for that. And Jesus is in me. And so your victory is already in me. And that's what Jehoshaphat was doing, was identifying uh, God's victory and, and, and his trust in God. And so the, the thing that happens is as we begin to internalize God's goodness and it becomes part of us so that it is our natural way of responding, then our part of that is our minds are expanded uh, the, the Bible talks about the eyes of our heart being open so that we can see more of who Jesus is, so that we can see more of who God is and how much greater he is than any problem we face or any issue we face. And then we, we have courage then to step in, to step up and into the situation and into the problem. Well, what happens as Jehoshaphat's praying, a uh, prophet from the crowd speaks up. And this prophet speaks up and he gives words of encouragement. We're going to actually put this on the screen and I'm going to read it to you. But here's, here's what the prophet says. This is uh, verses 15 through 17 of Second uh, Chronicles 20. He says, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem 
and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay, let's just stop right there and let's read that last phrase together, starting with the word for, okay? Read it out loud with me, would you please? For the battle is not yours, but God's. Read it again. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, one of our biggest problems in life is we fight battles that are God's. We fight battles that God's already won. We fight battles thinking that we have to do it. And, and then in the process of all of our good effort, uh, we stumble, we fall, we fail. And then we assume that God's mad at us because we didn't succeed. When really God is just standing there saying, uh, I already did that for you. I already took care of that. All you need to do is trust me with it. I already took care. I already gave you victory. And so the battle is not yours but God's. And then he goes on to say this. You will not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So what do they have to do? They have to stand firm. They have to stand and they have to, they have to go onto the battlefield. They have to go out and face the enemy. They have to actually go out and face the enemy, close up and personal. And this is where it gets hard, because when we do that, then we think we also have to fight the battle. God's fought the battle through Jesus already. You and I still face the enemy. Now, myself, have you ever seen any of those uh, war movies, maybe like a a Navy movie where they're shooting missiles out over the horizon and taking out ships that you can't even see? You know what I'm talking about? That's what I would like. I would like it if God would just say, okay, there's an enemy 50 miles away. I want you to know I'm taking it out right now. Poof, gone. Okay, you don't even have to see that one. And I'm just saying, oh, that's good. Let me know if there's another one out there coming my way that you can destroy for me. And I'll just stay here nice and comfortable and secure. But that's not the way God does it. He doesn't take out the enemy over the horizon. He lets the enemy come over the horizon. And comes down, and then we get up, and we have to march out, and we have to face the enemy, and and we have to stand firm when we're facing the enemy. And standing firm doesn't mean standing in our own strength; it means let the weak say, "What I am strong." So when the weak can stand there and say, "All right, here's the enemy. Jesus is in me. God's given me this victory already, and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to be strong." Why do you think God does it that way? Why do you think God does it that we have to get up and we have to march out into the field and we have to see the enemy? We have to, we have to face things, sometimes much closer than we would like to. It makes us stronger, does. Um, I think the thought that I'm thinking of is this. He wants us to see it. He wants us to see the victory happen. And what does that do for us? Well, it does make us stronger. It gives us more confidence, but it it also glorifies God. I I see him win the battle and he gets glory. This is one of the reasons why we tell people, when you pray for someone, keep your eyes open. You know, it's a hard thing if you're used to always shutting your eyes when you pray for people. You know, uh, we had someone 
one time told me they were praying for, you know, we, we also encourage laying hands on because the Holy Spirit works and flows and stirs pe- in people when we lay hands on them. And that's the, what the Bible says. And so this person said that they weren't used to doing that and they were not used to keeping their eyes open. And so they were praying for somebody right here in this side of the auditorium. And they were just standing there like, I don't know if they had their hands folded, but their eyes were closed. And they're just praying and praying and praying and praying. And when they opened their eyes, the person was gone. And so there's a good practical reason to keep your eyes open just right there, just to realize, uh, okay, am I hitting home with anything here? Do they look bored right now? Are they like inching back away from me? Uh, But there's more than that. It is that you can see the Holy Spirit touch people. And there are times that God will physically, with our physical eyes, we, we're watching them and we see the Holy Spirit come on them. And we know, okay, this is time you know, for me to you know, just, just ease back a little bit, let God continue to work. Or this is time for me to press in and pray more aggressively. But we keep our eyes open. We can see what God's doing. But then when the person is healed or God just touches them powerfully... I see that, and I walk away amazed. I mean, I know I've talked to some of you here who have, in the last six months, a year or so, you've prayed for someone where God really touched them, and it was like the first time you ever saw that happen. Anybody? Okay, several. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? Isn't that the most awesome thing in the world? You walk away thinking, all I ever want to do is pray for people and see God touch them from now on. That's all I ever want to do for the rest of my life. Because seeing God work somehow just draws our hearts right into his heart. And it draws us into his work and and his purposes and what he wants to do. And And it fills us with joy because that's my dad I'm working with. That's my father I'm working with. And so seeing it happen is just incredible. I, I, I had a, a guy in Israel, or not Israel, but um, in Africa two years ago that I was traveling with. And he had, he had never seen an actual physical type miracle. I knew that. And we were praying for a guy that we discovered one leg was significantly longer than the other. And uh, he said, yeah, the doctors have told me this leg is shorter and that leg's longer. So I thought, okay, I'm going I'm to let Mike pray for me. I'm going to. But I thought, you know, I, I want to I position Mike to pray for this guy. And, and so he gets to see this happen. And so we get the whole thing set up. And I said, okay, Mike, right there. Now just tell that left leg to grow. So Mike is down there, right? You know, his face is right here. The feet are right there. And he prays. And we're all watching the, the leg grow. I mean, you can see it. It's like, it's like when you see this happen, you're standing there. And you're saying, you know, am I seeing this? Is this real? Because it's just so, I mean, it's just so stupendous. But you're just seeing the, the, the leg inch out, just slowly come out until it was exactly the same length as the other leg. And the guy's not moving a muscle in his body. He's not shifting his weight. Uh, when I do this, I, I position one person. I said, you watch him and make sure he doesn't shift his weight. I don't want him to move a muscle. And everybody is astounded and just, you know, ooing and aahing. And, and I said, Mike, did you see that? And he looked up at me with this kind of like little boy look on his face. And he said, I had my eyes closed. And he missed it because he had his eyes closed. What I, 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 oh, yeah, I didn't realize that was a sad story. I thought it was funny. 
But uh, I guess it is sad, isn't it? Poor Mike. I think God wants us to be there with our eyes open so we get to see what's happening. And we see what he's doing. And that strengthens our hearts. And, and it emboldens us. And we get to be part of his work. And so he has them all march out the next day. So they get to see this victory. And, and, and you know that these things that happened in the Old Testament, these physical battles, were real physical battles. But they illustrate today the spiritual battles we face and the spiritual warfare that we face. And in praying for the sick and in praying for people to be released from addictions and in praying for whole, whole areas, whole communities, whole parts of the city and parts of the country and parts of the world to experience revival and to, and to see darkness pushed back and the kingdom of light pressing in and pushing it back. And there, there's all this spiritual warfare that goes on with this. And, and that's the whole thing he's illustrating with stories like this uh, from the Old Testament. But um, here's what we read. Verse 20 um, of Second uh, Chronicles 20. It says, They rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen to what the king says. He says, believe in your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. He's saying, he's saying, trust God and trust what God's saying to you. Saying, know who God is, trust him and trust what God's saying to you. And God speaks to us today. There are prophetic words we get. I mean, in, in addition to and all built on the foundation of the Bible. The Bible is the inerrant, complete revelation of God's will for mankind. But within that framework of the, the truth about God being revealed through the Bible, then within that framework, he gives us prophetic words for today that come to individuals that, that ignite our hearts and stir us. And he gives prophetic words to whole church bodies that stir us and give us something. You mean God wants us to impact this whole city? You mean God wants to use me to do this? And that prophetic word stirs us. And so he's saying, pay attention to who God is. And remember the prophetic words you've been given. I mean, how many here have received some type of prophetic word like I'm talking about right now? Okay, a word that someone speaks at the right moment that touches our hearts and draws us into more love with Jesus, but it also uh, it doesn't predict the future or tell us where to move or who to marry or anything like that, but it gives us an idea of what God wants to do through us and do in our lives, and it just lights our hearts up. And he's saying here, pay attention to those things. Pay attention to those things, and you're going to see great, great things happen in your life, and God's going to work in your life and through your life in a great way. And here's what happens now, okay? Look at this, verses 21 and 22. It says, And when he had taken counsel with the people, meaning he had counsel with his you know, chief people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. And they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Now, notice what happens here. 
They have to march out into battle to face the enemy. That way, they're going, it's not only going to test their hearts, but it's going to strengthen their hearts. They're going to see God's victory. They're going to worship God. They're going to become bolder and do greater things for God even than, than what happens here. But to lead the way, he sends out the worshipers. They go to the temple, and they collect all the priests in the temple whose jobs it is to lead worship. And they're saying, no, keep, keep your holy, keep, keep on the garments that you wear in the temple. The temple in the Old Testament, by the way, was different than the church today, okay? It, it, there's so much symbolism in it. And in the clothes they wore were symbolic and represented different af- aspects of spiritual life. But they're going out there. And the, the key thing to remember is it was worship that led the way. And so the worship team is at the point of the army. They're the tip of the spear, and they're going out facing this enemy army. And as they're worshiping and they're leading the whole army that direction and they're leading the whole army in worship, God destroys their enemy. What actually happened as you read on is that there were three armies and they're maneuvering on the field and they get confused and they think this army, although it really is their ally, they think it's the army of Judah. And so army A attacks army B and they start fighting. Then army C gets involved in it. And nation of Israel, Judah, uh, not Israel, but Judah, they're just standing there watching the whole thing. And they see their arm, they see their enemies destroyed because they came, they trusted God. And, and out, out of this whole thing of worship, there is power released. And we need to recognize that, that worship itself is spiritual warfare. And when we're worshiping, we're, we're doing battle spiritually. We are calling on God. We are saying, what, what did Joel say? Let the weak say, I am strong. We're saying the battle's not yours, the battle is. We're making those declarations as we worship. And as we face issues in life and so many things come against us, we just got to continually draw back into worship. And as we worship, it releases God's presence and power, and it releases God into our lives and situations. And so uh, that's why we value worship so much here, and, and we prize it so highly. That's one of the reasons we have our sermons first, so that we can hear some truth and prepare our hearts to do the really important thing. And that's not learn more, but that's to worship God. And so that's, that's how we view this all. And that's, that's what uh, I pray is happening right now for you and for us. Uh, we have a great worship set that's going to happen. And by that, I mean I've already gone through it twice, and I know God's presence is just really revealing. He's really revealing himself, and it's, it's going to be awesome. So the worship team is going to come out right now. And um, then we're going to go into worship. Let me explain this to you also. We have to decide to worship. We have to decide to make this our declaration. And for me, there's always a moment when I have to put away the things I'm thinking about. I have to, you know, okay, the the, uh, muffler on the car needs needs fixed. I need need to take it into the shop this week. What day am I going to do it? I, I have to consciously... Or, or whatever it is. When am I going to take the Christmas lights down? You know, have I planned enough time to, to make the turkey? Or whatever it is. We just, we have to say, oh, wait a second. No, I'm going to say no to those things. God is good and his love endures forever. And I'm going to sing that to him right now. 
I'm going to let those words come through my heart and my mouth, and I'm going to make that declaration of worship to him right now. And boy, when we do that, God's presence comes. So let's stand. We're going to spend the rest of our time worshiping, and then we'll have an invitation for people to uh, receive prayer ministry. But uh, Father, we do right now. Yeah, yeah, come on down front and worship, okay? I got to tell you, there's something powerful about that, too. Our body posture, uh, our position, um, you know, just feel free to come down and fill the whole front section here. And um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But Father God, we thank you that we can worship you. And we pray right now, Holy Spirit, release your presence here. Just release your presence as we worship. We want, we want to be in your presence. We want to see you more. And we want to bless your heart. In Jesus' name.